When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, today's guest is songwriter and multi-instrumentalist, Ben Lee from Sydney, Australia. Together we take a deep dive into the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the hit single, Catch My Disease, taken from Ben's 2005 album, Awake is the New Sleep. Ben was beyond fun to talk to. What a wealth of songwriting knowledge. And more importantly, he's about as humble as they come. Ben mentioned that Catch My Disease was written backstage at a gig in Pomona, California and that the loose, playful feel of the song, inspired by that initial writing session, translated perfectly when they went to record the actual record. Producer Brad Wood played drums on the track and mixed it as well, and his contributions cannot be understated. The sonics are killer, as is the mix. Ben co-wrote the song with a former band member, and what he says about that collaboration is about as honest and cool as it gets. Basically, he felt that without his bandmate's contribution to the song, it wouldn't have been anywhere near what the finished product is. And if all that isn't enough, we get to talk about a toy piano, something I had yet to do on Krista Makes a Podcast until now. For all this and a ton more, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista Makes a Podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista Makes a Podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Well, hey, Ben, how you going? I'm doing good, man. Did you notice I said, how you going? So how, how you, you going? Doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My <laughs> wife always, my wife has like a particular like aversion to that. She's always like, I'm going by foot. I'm going by car. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I went to Australia, they kept saying, how you going? I didn't know what the heck they were talking about. How you going? Oh, that's different. But uh, are you in Australia right now or where are you at? No, no, I'm in LA. I'm in LA. Okay. Because if you were in Australia, it'd be like seven o'clock in the morning tomorrow. Yeah, is it about? It's maybe even a little earlier. Yeah, it's uh, it's <laughs> yeah. It, it, my whole life has been built on navigating and straddling those time zones. So it's a uh, yeah, it's a look. It's a balancing act, but it's one I'll carry the burden of. That's awesome. Well, I got to tell you, I've of course heard of you. I did not know that you did catch my disease. Oh, right I just, yeah, cool. I've heard this song a million. I'm embarrassed to say that. That's I've cool. heard this song in Australia and England and Europe and the United States and Canada. I've heard it all over. And one, <laughs> my producer, Chris said, Hey, we're, we got Ben Lee. I'm like, yeah, I, I know that name. He sent the song. I was like, are you kidding me? I love this track. Oh, uh, cool, man. Thank, well, you know what? I, for some reason, I feel like we did something bef way before that. Like you guys and, me and my band. I think we did something at K Rock together once. I don't I don't remember, but I remember seeing a little cassette in my storage that said Ben Lee, less than Jake K Rock. So uh um yeah, that's well that's you know, that's what happens with songs. They become bigger than us if you're lucky. 
If <laughs> exactly, if you're lucky, and I love the career you've had. I call you a lifer. I consider myself a lifer. We're just out there uh, taking our show door to door and just continuing to do what we do. Uh, you've put out a ton of records. You did five albums. And the the album uh, that the song is from, Catch My Disease, Awake is the New Sleep, that was your fifth record that came out in 2005, and you've had nine albums since. There's been a lot of like uh, side projects too. I, I, I like to say we're currently sitting at an even 20, um, <laughs> yes. because everyone knows the first 19 are the hardest. <laughs> That's I, I I I would agree with that statement. You know, your most latest uh, record is "I'm Fun," which you released in August of 2022. So you've been you've been very prolific. Let's put it that way. It's weird though, because in a sense, when you look at it's been 30 years. That's not that prolific. You know what I mean? Like 20 albums in 30 years is. It's more the perseverance and the staying power than the, like, when I think of prolific, I think of like guided by voices or, um, you know, bands that release multiple full lengths per year with you. But I think right. it's, for me, it's just been the, um, the fact that I haven't been able to get away from the act of writing a song seems to be sort of still what defines my personal exploration or my, yeah, just figuring out who I am. And I just keep doing it. So, it, you know, they build up after a bit. I've had people ask me, you know, what's your favorite song you've written? What's your best song? And I say, I haven't written it yet. And I think the day when I feel I have written my best song, then I'm not going to want to do it anymore. Yeah. I mean, I've been totally in that, you know, there's a delusion that songwriters have to carry that their current song is that the last song they wrote is the best song they've ever written. <laughs> the, the thing that's tricky is sometimes you're right. And figuring out the correct balance philosophically of delusion versus objective, you know, so I, I try and, um, I, I, that's, what's good about, I, I learned a lot from comedians, like road testing their material. Um, and to a certain degree, I like to do that with songs. I, I really believe that even if it's not like taking a band out and playing them, but, but getting them in front into people's ears, like sitting in a living room, playing new songs for people. I still do that because I think you can only really judge once you like, I don't want their opinions, but I want their vibe. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because how many times have you never played a song out live? You, you, you tracked it. It came out amazing. Uh, the goosebumps are, 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 you know, are, are hitting your, your arms. You're just, you're feeling this track and you go play it live a couple months later and it's crickets for whatever reason, it doesn't translate live. And what you're speaking of is like, you know, road testing them. We used to do that all the time back in the day before, you know, it'd be on the internet in, in, in two minutes on YouTube or something. And there's a little bit of uh, apprehensiveness with that because you, you don't know if the song's finished yet. Cause as you know, you get it in the studio and uh, it, it's still morphing and changing. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of the sort of very old fashioned principle of stripping it back to guitar and vocals. Like I've, I've got, especially now, cause I, I'm friends with lots of younger artists. I always find it inspiring, you know? So, yeah. um, but what I see in, in their writing process, it, they go obviously into production right away. It's part of the writing process. And there is something to be said in breaking in a song, like a pair of boots or jeans that mm -hmm. get it back to like, even if you write it with loops and programming and all of that, then learning how to play it on guitar and sitting and playing that song and checking it's as good as you think it is. Uh, that seems like a really important part of the process that it's easy to skip these days. 
Yeah, well, this track in particular, you know, you said it. I like to strip it back to just guitar and a vocal, you know. And if it, if and this song, that's what it sounds like to me. And it sounds like the instrumentation just kind of built on top of it when I'm listening to it. You know, it's like a campfire song, especially with the sing-alongs uh, parts and the chants and all that. And and we'll get to that. But you know, this record was released on February twenty second, two thousand five. The single "Catch My Disease" preceded that. It was released on January eighteenth, about a month prior, two thousand five. And man, the album went double platinum in Australia. You won Best Male Artist, Best Independent Release, and Single of the Year at the Arias, and uh, which is Australia's version of, of the Grammy Awards. I noticed when I went and looked at the record, and you can't believe everything you read on Wikipedia, but this was the only song on the record that was co-written with a gentleman named McGowan Southworth. And I, I researched him. I couldn't find too much about him. How did that come about? And how was that the only track on the record that was co-written? I know it's so weird because when you see there's a co-write on a single, you think, oh, they brought in some professional, you know what I mean? Like it's writing with like Dr. Luke or some kind of shit like that. Um, but honestly, for me, um, McGowan was my guitar player. At the time, ah. he was not a professional songwriter. He was just, you know, doing his thing. We were all in our early right. 20s. And he gave me, I don't know if it was a mini disc or a CD, but he'd, he'd burnt me just some ideas he had. And one of them was this just Motown-y guitar thing. I mean, those, you know, the guitar chords for Catch My Disease are basically just like tracks of my tears or it's like a mm-hmm. total just straight Motown kind of thing. Like, in half time and then going up to double time in the choruses. Yes. And um and I just I remember we were actually playing the Glass House in Pomona um that night. I was on tour supporting uh, Phantom Planet. Uh we were we were on tour in that that particular cool. tour. And um and I was writing songs for my next record. I was already scheduled to go in and make the album. And uh he gave me this thing and I was like, oh I really love this vibe, you know? And uh and I just remember I, I, I wrote the song just to his chord structure and then I brought it to sound check and he made a few, he was like, oh, what about, actually, it's quite interesting because the, the change he made was one of those minor yet fundamental changes to the song. Like when uh-huh. I wrote the song, I just wrote, the chorus was, please catch my disease. Please catch my disease. And he went, shouldn't it be please, baby, please? Because it's like a Motown <laughs> song. And I was like, oh, you're so right. And it's funny. That's why generally with songwriting, I never sweat the details. And I just generally split everything 50-50 if I write a song with someone. Because who's to say? You can make one suggestion. To me, the two things he did, he provided the chords. Yes, they're basic rock and roll chords. But the song would not have been written if he hadn't given me those chords. And he made a fundamental suggestion to the chorus that made that an anthem um, because it made it like have an emotional yearning to it, like early Beatles, like the romance yeah. of I want to hold your hand type thing. So anyway, those, so yeah, I wrote it and that went to, we sort of learned it at soundcheck. And then I remember we were backstage just jamming it and we were just playing together, me, McGowan and Lara, and we just fleshed it out backstage the harmonies and everything and it was all done by the end of the night it's great i love the the chord arrangements i love that it goes <laughs> double in the chorus but it's the same chords it's, yeah. it's genius the, the simplicity of that it's you know the the older i get 
uh, and the, the more I, I, I'm on this journey, it's like, you know, the, the more ingredients I put in a song doesn't make it better, you know, and it's hard to strip back. You know, you, you think that, oh, m- more, more is better. And a lot of times it's just not. Now, Brad Wood produced the album. Uh, he's produced Liz Fair, Placebo, Veruca Salt, Better Than Ezra, Smashing Pumpkins, uh, and a whole list of others. I also noticed that he's credited with playing drums on Catch My Disease. Yeah, so so I'd worked with Brad. I'd made a bunch of albums with him already at that point. I made my first record with him in probably 93 at Idful in Chicago. I flew out from oh, Australia. Wow. So that was right after Exile in Guyville came out, Liz Fair's record. And yeah. I remember I was on Grand Royal at the time and Mike D from the Beastie Boys, he called, he was like, there's this record that's just come out. You should work with the producer. And because um, just I was writing all these acoustic songs and Liz's record, like that was, it's hard for people to imagine, um, but that moment in like lo-fi kind of substance over style, just get in there, bang out the song, acoustic guitars, just doubling stuff, like making it really just like fast, cheap and out of control, but home <laughs> bedroom recordings. That that vibe yes. was like, it was like a new thing, you know, like Elliot Smith was just coming out and right. um, Lou Barlow's home record. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, I'd worked with Brad for a while. Then we hadn't worked together for a couple of records. And then I remember when I, when these songs were coming together, I was like, ah, oh, it just needs that like indie rock. Just even though the, the era had moved on in the sense of everything was more hi-fi um, and everything was, we were working in Pro Tools. I still wanted the approach of like early nineties indie rock. And so I talked to Brad and he just built his home studio. And I remember I went around and I played him all the songs just on guitar. Again, this is like that's really where my craft is rooted in does it connect? And, um, and as soon as I played Catch My Disease, he said, this song is like, uh, you know, like uh, Gary Glitter. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <sighs> like that type of like arena song, but it's like cheeky. It's not totally earnest. So it's like a bit of a, it's like an indie rockers arena song, you know? And he just got it <laughs> from the beginning. And I remember how, he kind of knew the song was, I don't know about a hit, but he knew it was an important song on the record. And sometimes with those songs, you can overthink and overprepare for yeah. them. And so I just remember him being, having this sort of light touch with it that was actually the thing good producers do when they're trying to like make it seem like there's no pressure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and we just yeah, and so he he he's a great drummer. I love on all the early Liz Fair stuff and on my stuff. He would drum. He was really into drummers that also made sounds with their mouths. So mm-hmm. he'd be like, oh, like he'd just like be like, <laughs> it, it was this, and he'd mic drums with one mic, and it was just all about the spirit of it, really. Well, there's spirit all over this recording. You answered my question. You did do the record in Pro Tools, but it doesn't sound like it from the standpoint of there's, I don't hear copying, pasting here. You know, when I go to the second chorus, it doesn't sound like the first chorus. You know, the notes are the same. There's, you're, you're singing the same parts, but it's not copy and paste. I, I still can, use I can, Pro Tools that way. I, I just think, yeah. like, I just think, how lazy are you that you can't play the guitar part again? Um, yeah. And now, if it's dance music, it's different, you know, but for, for a song, it's like, 
everyone should be playing the instruments and those subtle variations are what make it exciting. Yeah, this song wouldn't be the same if it was cookie cutter. Not yeah. at all. That yeah. indie rock vibe you're talking about. There's something there's something really honest with this track. If, I, if there was one word to describe it, it's just it's honest. It feels real. I want to jump into the song. It's four minutes and 14 seconds. And I've said this a bunch on this show. The, great songs that are arranged well and have amazing parts. They could be as long as they want to be, and they don't feel that long. This this song goes by really quick for a four minute and fourteen second song. Uh, the first four bars, it's a single drum. Uh, it sounds like foot stomps and hand claps on bar three. I hear like a one two, and you get to three, like a count panned off left. Uh, by the time it hits three, it kind of disappears because on the fourth bar, a toy piano comes in, which is the main hook of this song. Bar five through eight, a bass guitar acoustic guitar and maybe a clean guitar we could talk about that in a second is in here they come in strumming uh, chords and on bar eight an electric guitar comes in playing a lick panned off right that is mimicking that toy piano as a b3 panned off left b3 organ is playing off those main hooks it's a very uh, 70s feel and production in this song I, i love it Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, it, there's no distortion or anything, but it's sort of just like power pop. I think of it as, I don't know, it's weird. Like it is that honesty you're talking about. When you hear that in music, it makes everything new. Like things only seem retro if the, I think if the lyrical sentiment is not present. Like once a lyricist is actually present in this moment, it could only exist in this moment. And then you can have retro elements and everything, but that's why I feel like My Morning Jacket or like bands that have dabbled in, or Fleet Foxes that have dabbled in sort of retro sonics, they don't actually sound retro because the lyrics could never have been written in any other time than the present moment. That's a great point. There's some things in here that you you would know this song wasn't, uh, you know, if you just listen to the music, maybe it could be from 1979 or 1989. Uh, just it, it's kind of timeless in that sense. But uh, Good Charlotte and Sleepy Jackson weren't around in 1979. <laughs> so that, there's a dead giveaway right there. But uh, this beginning, this intro, how did the toy piano come about? I think, I don't know if it was McGowan or Lara, one of them just played it. This was all backstage in Pomona. <laughs> it was all like someone that we had toy, you know, we'd travel with a few little bits and pieces. Because toy pianos don't tune very well. You no, know, they're kind of, no. they, <laughs> that's they right. Kinda, they kind of stick out like a sore thumb, but that's the charm of this. And it makes the song, it, it has, gives it that quality. It's awesome. Well, also, I think we got lucky because had the song been in any kind of irregular key, um, mm-hmm. or the capo would not, I mean, like a toy piano is generally just like a C major scale or something, you know, there's no black keys on it or anything like that. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we got, we got lucky with it. But one of the things that Brad was understood about modern pop music, that's a bit different to music from the seventies is how many hooks you can and probably should have in a pop song these days. Um, and I remember when like the Black Eyed Peas came out and we talked about that, how it wasn't 
necessarily like my favorite music, but the amount of hooks in it were unreal. And it was like every time one hook, came, like, yeah, the toy piano comes in in this and it's like, oh, that's the hook. And then you have the lyrics going, that's the way I like it. And that's another hook. And then you have the na 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 like, and the hand claps, like it should just be like the entire song, which should be sort of made of hooks. <laughs> well, that's the bubblegum sort of side, you know? Yeah, this song's insane with the hooks. I mean, the and that's the way I like it. I'm sure that you had people think that was the title of the song. That in and of itself is almost like another chorus, that part. Yeah, I had people put that, they the label, I think, put it in parentheses, parentheses. after <laughs> yeah, and all yeah. that. Because like, people would people call that- and be like, can I hear the that's, that's the way I like it song? Um, <laughs> but, but I also think ti- I'm a big believer in titles. Um, I think titles for songs, like a lot of my songs, they're, they're like, it's like they're like marketing slogans. And I think having an interesting title for a song also gets people in the door. And I don't think mm-hmm. calling it That's the Way I Like It would have been as intriguing as a song called Catch My Disease. Absolutely um, not. I, I think, agree with I you. think people just sort of, you know, it, it's having a unique title. I, I always encourage my friends who are artists to like have interesting titles. <laughs> Did you do a demo of this song or did you build it in the studio? Well, we did, the, we recorded it backstage in Pomona. Let me see if I've got it. We just recorded it here. This is it. They had drum sex with the doors open. And that's the way I like it. That's the way I like it. Menage a trois is okay. And that's the way I like it. So please. It's there. I mean, it's like basically written, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. And now from that demo, how much changed arrangement-wise with the track, if you recall? Was it was it pretty much what we have here? Yeah, basically it was like that Brad had the idea of the stomps and the claps. Yeah. And some of the, like, having the electric echo. The na-na-na-na-na-na-na. That was a totally studio moment. And it sounds like it because it's so left field, but what a cool part yeah. that is. The, well, it's the, that the blues note. note. It's that blues yeah. note that you would not expect in a song like that. Yeah. I was going to say, it goes to that chord. You're like, what just happened? It only happens yeah, in yeah. that moment. I, I absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. Ah, yeah, cool. That, 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 that's really cool. Well, we come out of this intro and we're right into verse one. My head is a box filled with nothing. That's the way I like it. My garden's a secret compartment. And that's the way I like it. And that's the way I like it. Your body's a dream that turns violent. And that's the way I like it. And that's the way I like it. The winter is long in the city. And that's the way I like it. So. My head is a box full of nothing, and <laughs> that's the way I like it. My garden's a secret compartment, and that's the way I like it, and that's the way I like it. Your body's a dream that turns violent, and that's the way I like it, and that's the way I like it. The winter is long in the city, and that's the way I like it. Yeah, well, like my entire philosophy artistically is built on 
the choice to be happy, not out of naivety, but the decision to be optimistic, to like embrace life, even with all of its ugliness and its horror, you know, uh -huh. that, it, that it's like, and so a lot of what I do in my lyrics is celebrate absurdity um, and like commit myself to it in all of its tension, you know, and the tensions between wisdom and stupidity and the tensions between like sensuality and violence and the hardship of living in New York during the winter time and all those things. And just almost like the bravado, like for me, rock and roll is about shrugging off difficulty because you're cool. That's basically it. You know what I mean? So like, so it's funny because if you look at like the strokes, um, or like a band that you would think of as more traditionally like rock and roll, like their vision than what I do, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, man, we're a vibe. We can handle it. We can handle it. And that's like what my lyrics are too. A lot of the time, they're kind of just saying that like, yeah, it's kind of difficult. It's kind of tricky, but, uh, I, I dig it. I dig life, you know? <laughs> right. And man, this song is just so major and so happy. And, and that's the way I like it. This, that it's such a positive lyric and it's, it's happy. Yeah. And sometimes happy, sometimes happy is sappy and like, Oh, get it away from me. But, but in, in this instance, it's not, it's uplifting. No, well, this song also reveals like, you know, my garden's a secret compartment. It's like, I'm basically telling you as the listener, I'm not showing you what I'm my, my actual cards here. Mm. Like what I, who I actually am is private. And it's like, that's a very spiritual idea that like the Tao that can be told is not the real Tao. Like as soon as you say anything, and I've battled with this with songwriting for a long time, that like you want to capture things, these ideas and these sentiments, but they're never as good as you want them to be, or they're never as perfect because you can't capture the tender impossible nature of existence you know so so i think that's again part of the the it's part of the facade is sort of the like <laughs> hey this is as much as i can show you man you're dangerous I, i'm afraid of running into you backstage we could talk for six hours about that alone <laughs> we could nerd out about that for, for forever just just that one thing you just said that's incredible well the drums come in on verse one uh with the bass guitar acoustics electric uh guitars and the b3 panned off left uh and that's the way i like it we get harmonies on each one of those um Harmony's kind of panned off slight right. Am I also hearing a unison in there too with the lead vocal? I mean, probably because we ended up, there was like one drunken night. You know, you always have your gang vocals night. We were yep. out somewhere. It was like a Jason Faulkner and Jenny Lewis, all these people we were on. And then I was like, everyone, let's go back to the studio, do gang vocals. And then there's probably some unison. And so I don't know what was going on. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, it's, it, it, it's loose, but it's great. It has yeah. to be loose for this. It can't be locked. And the other thing I love about this song, which isn't a lot of times conducive to having a hit song, Ben, is that every verse and every chorus changes. There's new elements coming in. There's a lot to digest here in this song. It's not really just the simple pop song that, that the chord arrangement makes it out to be. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of what I'm saying. That's the whole, that's the craft. Like the craft is, it's like comedy. It's why we love comedy, that you basically have people up on stage pretending not to understand anything. And yet the craft to, to be able to communicate that requires such intelligence 
and so many micro decisions for the audience to feel safe with that process. So, so I look at the craft as like, how complex can it be before anyone notices it? Oh, wow. Like I want, I want as many changes that you might not even notice unless you really take a look at the song. And I, I just don't want to be like heavy handed. I never wanted, it's just, that's my like philosophy. Like I never wanted people to listen to my music and I never wanted to be celebrated for complexity or that sort of thing. I just wanted it to be all like, like with movies, a lot of the times, like with the people who get the awards for like makeup and costume design are people that do like special effects. Whereas in the actual movie industry, the best makeup artists are the ones where you don't even think about the makeup because you're just focusing on the story. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So anyway, yeah. that's all the craft stuff that I find really interesting. Hey, we'll be right back with lots more with Ben Lee after a few words from our sponsors. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. And now, back to the show we get to the first and that's the way i like it the b3 comes in here and uh it's just uh, just adds such a cool element my head is a box filled with nothing and that's the way i like it at the very last lyric of verse one and that's the way i like it the guitar panned off right plays that hook lick that main hook of this song it happens there uh going into chorus one and that's the way i like it so please baby please open your heart catch my disease so please Baby, please open your heart. Catch my disease. I remember reading about the early Beatles. There was like a theory that every single song was actually a song from the artists to their female fans saying, please love me. And that's why that type of that model for forming, connecting with your audience is actually like a really beautiful model where the artist is singing to the audience, trying to earn their love. And I love that idea that the song was saying like, hey, I'm here, audience, like let's connect, basically. Like I'm ready to give, are you ready to receive? And that's, and you know, then making it sort of a little gross, catch my disease is a funny <laughs> idea too, because, you know, hookiness, stickiness it's all a little bit perverse 
because you get things stuck in your head and you don't want to. It doesn't always feel good. And it's also a little bit like you're being infected with something when when there's like a, a marketing thing that like gets in your mind and you can't stop thinking about it or a hook in a right. song. So there's something fun about acknowledging that this is a little bit of a perverse process, that this is about this is about me trying to like share illness with the audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, you know, sometimes laughter can be infectious, yes. you know, and, and, and you're giving that to someone, you're, you're catching their, their laughing disease. So yeah, and joy, it's, it's, joy. It's just like the, the, yeah. the vibe, man. It's just the vibe. <laughs> right on. Well, it sounds like a campfire sing-along in this chorus as the voices are singing in unison and in harmony. I'll mention again, the it's loose. It sounds like you're, you're at a party or backstage in Pomona with your friends and everyone decides to sing this part. It's got that realness feel to it the drums the stomps the claps the acoustics the electric guitar bass the lead lick guitar panned off right and that b3 panned off left are all in here on the chorus i love what the bass is doing here it's not you know taking over it's it's sitting in its place but it's just perfect i love the tone of it and then you know you talk about putting stuff in songs. And this is really interesting. I've previewed a lot of songs on this show. I don't recall a guitar lick from the verse going into the chorus and the same lick coming out of the chorus to take us back in to verse two. I love that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, I'm sure there are because it's like there must be loops Songs that use oh, loops there, that do there, that. There, yeah, yeah, yeah. There definitely is. I just, I can't think of one off the top of my head. And that when that came by, I'm like, that is really cool. I love that that hook uh, right there, play, it plays the same hook that took us into the chorus uh, to take us out of chorus one and into verse two. It's it's great. It's that's great. Cool. It, it, yeah. it, it's, it's simple, but like when that came by, I was like, that that's really neat. Verse two. I was backstage in Pomona. That's the way I like it She drank beer with Coca-Cola And that's the way I like it And that's the way I like it She told me about the winds from Santa Ana And that's the way I like it And that's the way I like it She told me she loved me like fireworks And that's the way I like it I was backstage in Pomona and that's the way I like it. She drank beer with Coca-Cola, and that's the way I like it, and that's the way I like it. She told me about the winds from Santa Ana, and that's the way I like it, and that's the way I like it. She told me she loved me like fireworks, and that's the way I like it. Yeah, I think that was just a combination of a lot of different like romantic situations in my life, because we were, so we were in Pomona when I wrote that, but the last time I'd been in Pomona, I'd been chasing this sort of uh, wanted to hang out with this musician I had a crush on, um, Maria Taylor from Azure Ray, who's become a friend now over the years. But, but anyway, <laughs> like I had a crush on her. And so that's, I think I was remembering that being, and the beer and Coca-Cola thing was not real. That just sort of rhymed, semi, semi-rhymed. But, um, <laughs> but then there's another girl I'd been dating, this girl, Melanie. I had bad allergies while I was making this album. And so she was telling me about the Santa Ana winds. Um, so that's, and, and then she also had said that beautiful line had something she'd said to me. I said, do you like that? I think it was like, do you like that restaurant? And she said, I love that restaurant, like fireworks. And I was like, oh my God, that is like the most romantic lyric that I, I, you know, she was from the South and she used to say Uh things that were like, 
like like we'd hear a siren go by and she'd say i hope they're okay and like all these like beautiful like southern little <laughs> details that i just loved yeah. um so anyway all that fa- found its way into the song <laughs> are you a hopeless romantic ben i mean i'm hopeful <laughs> You're a hopeful romantic. I like that. that, 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 that. Hopeful romantic. Uh, <laughs> well, the instrumentation here on verse two is pretty much the same as verse one, except on the line, she drank beer with Coca-Cola. The B3 comes in here playing a new bouncy hook that's really playful. She drank beer with Coca-Cola. And that's the way I like it. And that's the way I like it. You haven't heard that that bounciness yet. And it's like there's something about that that just it, it, it's really grooving there. All the and that's the way I like it. You get all those harmonies again on the line right after she told me about the winds from Santa Ana. The B3 gets a little bit busier there. And on the fireworks line, the B3 plays chord pads here uh, for the rest of verse two. And it's really cool how it opens up here. She told me she loved me like fireworks, and that's the way I like it. And then we get that guitar hook panned off right to take us into chorus two. When you're producing, it's basically about the journey. Even if it's illogical, if there are leaps, the leaps should be telling a story. And I just think of all that stuff, all that craft stuff with production of like, oh, things that come in halfway through verses and reappear. And it's all stuff that I'm sure there's people who've written books about it and stuff, but it's all stuff you just by being in the studio for hours and hours and hours and albums and albums, you just learn all those tricks of like naturally where to pull things in and out. Right. Well, you know, would you say this was an easy song that came together? And whereas a lot of this, I know that the na na na's we're going to talk about in a little bit, that was done in the studio, but were you trying things? Do you remember like, Hey, put, maybe make the B3 a little more playful here. Or we should, we should stick this here. Or was it kind of like it just happened? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much there were no wrong moves with that song. Uh, I think it probably came together over a couple of days. I do remember my manager, I mean, we'll get to it, but when we get to the bridge, like my manager really questioned the line, they don't play me on the radio. Um, mm. He was not, <laughs> uh, so that was, there was a conversation, but I think of fun as an incredibly precise compass. And when you're having that much fun making something, chances are people are going to have fun listening to it. And you can't mm-hmm. second guess it too much. Right. Have you ever uh, banged your head against the wall trying to get a part in the studio? Like, it's just not coming together. Yeah, and songs. Sometimes there's whole songs yeah. that you do, like, three different versions of. And then you kind of realize, oh, th- this is fundamentally the song's fault. Or this isn't <laughs> the right song for this project. There might oh, be another yeah. project where this song would be more at home. But right now, I'm a big fan of, I, I like how Tom Waits talks about songs, though, that they're like, 
They're also kind of like wild animals that you need to like make peace with and train a little bit because you have to dominate them and you have to show them who's boss. And sometimes songs will take you down up the garden path, we say in Australia, where it's like they'll take you on a confusing journey that you didn't need to go on. Um, mm. And you sometimes you need to like treat them mean and keep them keen, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that That's awesome. Well, chorus two is a double chorus and it sounds like a high unison vocal comes in here, like up an octave on this chorus that wasn't there on, on, on chorus one. And you, there probably is, uh, is, is probably what you'd say, which is great because it just, it, the song keeps building. The lyrics are, so please, baby, please. Open your eyes, catch my disease. So please, baby, please, come on, catch my disease, catch it. And on the third line, open your eyes, there's a lyric change. Eyes instead of heart from chorus one. Why just in chorus two? Why did it go to eyes there? I don't know. Just because when you're playing a song, like what can happen if it's too much repetition when you're playing live? By the time you get to the end of the second verse, you're like, oh, fucking autopilot from here on out. Mm -hmm, Because you're mm -hmm. basically playing parts you've already foreshadowed and there's no development. And so a lot of it's just about those little twists and little things that make it interesting and keep the narrative unfolding in ways that make it important to finish telling the song as opposed otherwise you could just be like, I mean, haven't you done that when you've like played someone something and by the time you get to the second chorus, you're like, you get the idea and you skip to the next song because nothing else happens in it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like, uh, I'm not going to beat a dead horse here. Who did, did Brad Wood mix the record? Yeah. Yeah. He did. Okay. Cause I got to tell you, I love the subtleties in this. Yeah. He's great. He's so good. And he's, he's one of those guys, he's actually worked on so much great music. He did like Veruca Salt and, Mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean, there's so many like punk stuff like me without you. And, um, he did the Hedwig and the angry inch soundtrack. Um, he just, he gets, he gets it from a listener's perspective. Um, he has never lost touch with, I think, as a music fan, what's an enjoyable experience of listening to music, which is great. Yeah, you know, you, you couldn't give this song to some big uh, metal or rock mixer that was going to uh, brick wall it and just make it right in your face. It, the way this is mixed is brilliant. Uh, on the So Please, the second half of Chorus 2, uh, there's a please after that's like a it's a really subtle gang vocal panned off left but it's like i had to keep rewinding i'm like what is that so please, well i think that's a, i think that was just organic like because i remember that, that was so please please it was that kind of like <laughs> it was like a, again like a motown those kind of inflections but we were just partying you know so. oh it, it's it's aw- that's what gives this song yeah. that that feeling man yeah, it feels yeah. like a backyard uh yeah. a backyard party um the guitar hook again i'm gonna keep talking about this after you say catch it that guitar hook panned off right it comes back again into the bridge i put bridge slash musical interlude here uh it's eight bars it's a solo whole- it's a solo it's a solo just because it's, it's a toy solo. piano it's still a solo <laughs> <laughs> okay we're, we're gonna call this an eight bar solo the whole band is in the toy piano gets really busy here catch it Uh, 
on bar three, you get that na 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 part. Okay, okay, happens. okay. So that that was Lara did that solo, and she just hit that descending melody, and we just thought it was the funniest thing ever <laughs> because the idea that you would hit a blues note on a toy piano in this song. I just thought it was hilarious. And that's Brad. And Brad was like, let's build that up. Let's build that up. Let's get everyone singing that descending bit. And then it, yeah, it became what it was. <laughs> it is hilarious. And if there's one part in the song that sticks out like a sore thumb, it's that. It shouldn't on paper. It, it shouldn't work, but it does. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I, accidents, I, accidents, you know. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. Well, right after that happens, that na na na, it sounds like a crowd, like you're at a party and people are talking. It's panned off right. It's panned off left. It's kind of swirling. And you feel like you're in the middle of a room listening to a band in the corner and your people are having drinks and hanging out. Uh, and then I want to know, you know, right at the end, before we get into verse three, okay, there could have been another na-na-na there, but there you had restraint to not put it there. <laughs> it Well, you know, because it comes back at the end of the song. And I yes. think... Um, yeah, I mean, look, this is the uh, this is this is where these are the tricks. This is like the tricks of storytelling that right. like you you want people to want that to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you deliver hooks too many times too early, they're not hungry for them by the end. Oh man, you want to talk about driving myself crazy? That'd be <laughs> one thing. I would go to bed every night and I would be like, should it be there? Yes, and then I wake up in the morning, and go no. Just once. And then the but, next day I'd be yeah. like, it has to be there twice. <laughs> but don't you think, like, that's where I sort of trust the process of creativity. Like, when she played the solo, she only put it in once. And it was funny because it only happened once. And oh, then okay. her solo went somewhere else at the end. So yeah. it just would have been contrived to sort of, like, I don't know. It's just sort of like, that's where you follow the creative flow of actually how the song's unfolding in the studio. Right, right. Well, it's great. Verse three. They play Good Charlotte on the radio And that's the way I like it They play Sleepy Jackson on the radio And that's the way I like it And that's the way I like it I hear Beyonce on the radio And that's the way I like it Cause that's the way I like it They don't play me on the radio They play Good Charlotte on the radio. That kills me. And that's the way I like it. They play Sleepy Jackson on the radio, this band from Perth, this alternative (laughs) band. And that's the way I like it. And that's the way I like it. I hear Beyonce on the radio. So we got two American artists and one, one Australian. And that's the way I like it. And that's the way I like it. They don't play me on the radio, but that's the way I like it. I actually have that line circled because I wanted to talk to you about that. You kind of addressed it, saying that your manager's like, I don't know about that because radio programmers get fickle about weird things. Yeah. Okay. So in the when we were making when I was making up the song backstage in Pomona, and this is on the demo, you can hear I'm improvising, (laughs) right? And so I have a long history with Good Charlotte. They actually um snuck Benji and Joel snuck backstage at a show of mine when they were kids or like, you know, 15, 16 and right. played pl- at the 930 club in DC and played acoustically some songs. They're like, we're going to start a band. We're going to be the biggest band in the world, you know? And <laughs> I, 
and I've known them for years and been through all kinds of, you know, stages of, you know how it is when you know people for 20 years or sure, 30 sure. years. So I always viewed them as a very, it's like the American dream. Like mm-hmm. they really, at their success to me was inspiring and funny because when I saw the way they snuck backstage, I was like, anyone that can do this is going to be successful. It's like, it's so obvious. It's like, these guys are not going to be stopped. And I found that really fun and funny. Um, but I did like the idea of saying they don't play me on the radio and that's the way I like it. And, and I suppose like my aesthetic is really captured in the three bands that I reference in that I've always loved pop culture mm-hmm. and I, I'm one of those weird people that's like a mix of kind of loving pop culture, but also having really good taste. And, right. and even in silly stuff, like I, I've, I'm discerning, you know, and I think those three artists are like really amazing picks to immortalize in a song because they each say something really different about culture. Sure, you know what I mean? And sure. they all tell stories that I really like. And they also all, I mean, Luke from Sleepy Jackson, people might not know, went on to form a band called Empire of the Sun, who had a massive hit with walking on a dream. How can I explain? We were always working for the thrill of it. Anyway, all those three artists did manage to capitalize on their talents in ways that I never quite was able to. Like all three of those artists basically got to arena level as artists when I'm still mucking around, like, you know, <laughs> trying to get 500 people to knock to clubs, but whatever, <laughs> I, lo- I, I love my career. But um, there was a truth in that. And I think that's also why people like that verse that I was basically going like, these are rock stars. What I'm doing, I'm doing something different and I like it. You know, it's like very no, honest. It- yeah. It, it's great. It, it almost was like when I when when that verse goes by, I'm like, yeah, those are the last three artists he heard on the radio. He just threw <laughs> the song ar- arbitrarily, you know. But totally, uh, totally. And, and when I said when I said the lines, hilarious, the good Charlotte. It's funny for a couple reasons. Just because it's obscure, it's like, why is that there? You can really hear your accent on Charlotte, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's it's funny because a lot of the rest of the song, like, it's like that in Pomona. The rest of it, you, you don't know if you're Australian, yeah, right. English, American, whatever. But uh, and yeah, my listeners know I have nothing nothing but great things to say about the twins we've yeah, my yeah. band's done done touring with them they've worked incredibly hard to get where they're at but i love this verse there's so much going on i like that the first three and that's the way i like it are naked there's yeah. no harmonies there yeah. it's just it's just really honest that's brad um, that's brad stuff that that type of arrangement thing is he's really he's really good with that kind of thing. and they're just a single guitar it's electric guitar and hand claps only panned off right until you get to the third line. They play Sleepy Jackson radio. The B3 comes in there. On the lines, and that's the way I like it, after uh, Beyonce on the radio, the backing vocals are there, but they're louder than before. Yeah. Okay? It, 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 it's a little more intense. They don't play me on the radio. There's a woo-hoo panned off left, kind of, again, like you said, that playful just, you know, whatever. We're just kind of scatting in the studio. And then there's a like it, like like it. It's panned off left on oh, the yeah, that's last right. I line. like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's yeah, just yeah. really loose, and it just I wrote it just feels great. It feels yeah. awesome. And then we get into chorus three. That's the way I like it. So please. Open your heart, catch my 
So please, baby, please, open your heart. We're back to heart. It's not eyes. Open your heart and catch my disease. So please, baby, please, come on, catch my disease. And then you say, catch my disease with those na-na-nas four more times before we get to the outro. Uh, the second line, and there's harmonies on everything here. Mm-hmm. On the second line, there's a sneeze off left. Who sneezed? Me. Like I said, that was... Uh... Your no, it was it was a uh, Santa and a winds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and was that an actual fake sneeze or was that a real sneeze? No, no, that was a real sneeze. It was we, we would have been in. I don't remember if that was in the group vocals or in my. It actually might have been on my guitar track. I have mm. a feeling that was on my acoustic guitar track, and I'm getting through the song, and then I just sneeze at one point, and Brad was like, "We're keeping that in," <laughs> which makes sense because that guitar is panned off left, and that's yeah, where the right, sneeze right, is right, at. right. That yeah. is that is awesome. <laughs> well, the <laughs> the whole band uh, is in on chorus three. That lead guitar panned off right is busier here; it's happening more, and there's a staccato guitar or keyboard. <laughs> dun, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Was that a guitar? Uh, I think it's both. I think the guitar's doing like a little Motown y, like higher voicing of God. And the toy piano is like, instead of just going, it starts going, it just, everything is like the groove is getting bigger. Well, that hammering of that, that part that's happening here in Chorus 3, that wasn't in Chorus 1 or Chorus 2. It gives it a really cool urgency and ushers in a new feel here at the end of the song. And I just, I think it's great. On the line, come on, there's a great moving harmony under come this on. come on. Yeah. That's Lara. Lara had great, she had great harmony oh, ideas. It, yeah. I love that because it's I nowhere, know. again, it's nowhere else in the song. And I picked that out. It's great. And uh, the guitar hook after Catch My Disease before the na-na's, it, it happens again to launch us into that part. And all those na-na's harken back to the bridge that happens that one time. So that was, the bridge was a, or solo, excuse me, that was foresh- <laughs> foreshadowing for the na-na-na's at the end. And then this outro's killer. It's not two bars, four bars. It's six bars of na-na-na's. On the second bar, there's a woo. Again, just panned off left. Oh, oh, yeah, and then there's Hama Superstar going, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> yep, and then on the fourth bar, so that, that's yeah, Harmar yeah. Superstar yeah, doing yeah, that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and nah, nah, nah is panned off left, and the last thing you hear is a woohoo off to the right, and the song just kind of abruptly goes away. Uh, what a track, man. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, it's beautiful. I've actually <laughs> never heard it broken down like that. It's, uh, it's fun to realize that. Look, it's it's a beautiful thing when you realize that both the spark of inspiration and the technical aspects of why it works are there. Like, like I think what you see with a lot of young artists is uh, painters are the same. They'll do a great painting not knowing anything about the formal elements, yet it follows the rules intuitively because the rules are baked into nature in a way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think I think these rules of development of arrangements and storytelling and stuff they like you either find them you can either find them through studying the craft or intuitively but either way you end up at them 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you something. You're again. You're blowing my mind. If I ever, if, if I see it backstage at festival, I'm running away. Cause we, we, we won't get anything done. I could talk to you forever. You, you have, you have absolutely one wonderful insight, and Thank uh, you. It, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Before we break, uh, what would you like to leave the listeners with? What's what do you got coming up? Yeah, well, I've got. I'm playing in uh, just in LA and a New York show. You know, touring has been a bit of a nightmare organizing it on this album. So I'm just doing select things, but I'm doing January. Uh, 17th in LA at the Moroccan Lounge and 19th at Berlin under A in New York. Um, and so people can get tickets to those now. Uh, I have me and my wife have a podcast called Weirder Together. And we actually have uh, Weirder Together is also the name of our network. So we put out a bunch of podcasts by like Jello Biafra, Renegade Roundtable, oh. um, Lou Barlow from Sebado Dinosaur Jr., him and his wife have a pod on our network. Um, uh, artist from new york called brock enright who got famous for consensually kidnapping people he has a narrative podcast called vague (laughs) data so you know we're doing a lot in that world that's really fun and just in general just find me on my socials ben lee music and i'm always up to some weird shit people dig it you know (laughs) that's awesome man well thank you thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate it right on man good to talk so i'm gonna kiss you i'm gonna kiss you if you want me to i've been craving an adventure Well, that episode was so much fun. I just subscribed to Weirder Together. But before you go listen to that podcast, we still got more Chris to make a podcast right after a few quick words from our sponsors. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Dave Eats Mud, a punk band consisting of four hip dudes of varying good looks from Washington, D.C. The band is Andrew on drums, Dan on the bass, Dave on vocals and guitar, and Jim on lead guitar. Here's a snippet of their song, Fox Den Fun Times. Walking through the woods one day, I met a fox along the way. We hung out in his den and drank. I fell asleep in his kitchen sink. The rap with Chris and Chris.
Chris, can we do like an hour long rap for this episode? Because I could talk about <laughs> Ben Lee easily for an hour based on this episode alone. Well, I know. And something I didn't even get into. I, I, as I said to Ben, I could talk to him forever. He's just so knowledgeable. I feel like he could down the road, maybe, maybe sit on an episode with us. He's so good. But, you know, Ben is also a member. And I didn't know this, this is hilarious of the Ben's, which is a right. super group with him, Ben Folds and Ben Queller. <laughs> yeah, dude. And they have a song called Bruised, which is absolutely amazing. I think they did that, I think it was like over a decade ago now, and they did maybe one tour and they released an EP. I loved the Ben's. I heard a rumor that Ben Gibbard was a part of it if they were like getting back together or something, which would make sense. Another powerhouse Ben <laughs> in the Ben's. But uh, yeah, hey, dude, when he came on, when he came on the screen, I was like, there he is. Just so recognizable. I had to tell him that me and my friends, PJ and Steve, have liked Noise Addict since we were like, I don't know, teenagers, which was probably the age he was. I think he's the same age as me. Uh, you know, they they were signed to, uh, to Grand Royal, the Beastie Boys record label. They had some music videos on 120 Minutes back in the day. So I've been a Ben Lee fan forever. Very recognizable. And I got to say, a true delight of a human being. What a nice guy. Just listening to you guys talk, and I'm sure that people listening might have felt this too. I felt like I was friends with the guy. Yeah, he was just like we were long lost buddies that just picked right back up where, where we left off. He's He was so easy and great to talk to. And what a career. Like I said, he's a lifer. He's out there. He's released. You know, he kind of downplayed how prolific he's been. He's released a ton of music. He's out there. He he gigs. Uh, at the end of the show, he was talking about how him and his wife have a podcast network. And he's just uh, he, he stays busy. There's so many things about this episode that I took note of and I think I'll never forget. Um, first of all, he mentioned, you know, we've talked about this and experienced it. The gang vocal night, the party. It's it's really fun to do the gang vocals. But he talked about the, his drunken gang vocal night, which also involved Jenny Lewis and Jason Faulkner. And I guess Harmar Superstar was there. <laughs> I wish I could have been a fly on the wall in that room because that sounds like an ultimate party. And, and we've all had those where you're, hey, we're going to do some shouts and some gang vocals, and it always ends up being a, a really fun time. And man, does it shine through in this track. I kept saying this feels like I'm at a backyard party or backstage at Pomona. People, you're hearing voices over here. The, the track is really loose. You don't get a lot of hit singles that are this loose. Uh, I, completely different style and type of song. The, the, the one that comes to mind is uh, you say you're just a friend. Biz Marquis, yeah, you know, right, we talked right. about that, how it's just, how is this a hit? Like on paper, this shouldn't have been a hit, but man, it, it, it is a hit and it's awesome. You know, the thing that he said where I instantly typed it and I'm like, I'm going to remember that from now on because it's such a good thing to think about when you're writing music and recording music. He said, when you're having that much fun making something, chances are that people will have fun listening to it. And I was like, <laughs> Whoa, that is inspiring. That made me want to pick up a guitar and write a song right now, but I had to finish this. <laughs> I had to finish this podcast. It made me want to go record with my friends. You know, it's just yeah. such a good quote. He had a ton of one-liners, you know, and it, and it sounds like 
Uh, even producer Brad Wood comes from that train of thought. It's just it, it, the spontaneity. He kept talking, he mentioning uh, the indie bands and how it was loose, even though they did this in Pro Tools. They didn't want everything to be carbon copied and, you know, cookie cutter, cut and pasted. It has to have a vibe. And this sounds like a real band. As I mentioned to Ben, it sounds like a guy in the corner singing a song with an acoustic and they just built all this stuff around it. And and uh, let's talk about the toy piano for a second. Like, yeah, <laughs> how, how crazy is that? I, I can't recall a, a hit single with a toy piano i know there, there probably exists but off the top of my head or one that has this much toy piano in it yeah yeah and like you said it's hard to tune one of those things can you even tune them i don't even think that's an option right <laughs> <laughs> well this song is pretty major and and uh you know there's as he mentioned there's no black keys uh on the right <laughs> on, the, on the toy piano but it, it just seems to work it gives it that again it gives it like the feel of like hey there, there's nothing for my buddy to play here uh he'll, he'll sing with us but oh wait there's a toy piano in the corner you know because all the other right. instruments are spoken for he'll play the toy piano you know it adds to that party feel of this song the feel good effect that this song has on you dude i was impressed and i thought it was amazing how much he opened about that verse where the, the verse with like the romantic lyrics uh-huh down to who they were about, <laughs> yeah. you know, like he did. He was like, whatever. This is about this is about uh, uh, this woman. This is about this woman. Just laughing, having a good time. What a way to be to be so open about everything. I yeah. I mean, that just endeared me to him all the more. He's just unapologetically outing people left and right, and it, <laughs> it's just like whatever. But um, you know, the other thing that I thought was just so cool is just how forthcoming he was about uh, McGowan Southworth, his his former bandmate. He's like, yeah, you know, he he didn't write too much, but the parts that he did write in this song um, made it a hit. It wouldn't it wouldn't have been what it was without his uh, contribution. And I gave him fifty percent of the song and this is arguably Ben's probably biggest hit uh you know a lot of publishing money and things that have come in from this song and and uh, he, he was willing to share it because he recognized his bandmates contribution I, I I think that's awesome that's a great story from you know the music industry where sometimes you'll see greed <laughs> and people not being good to each other but I mean I think that's awesome I mean that's the way your band has operated for all these years that's the way my bands have operated is like you treat each other fairly. Everyone is has vested interest in what you're doing, and that's how, I don't know, in my opinion, how to be the most successful. Well, yeah, especially bands like ours that live on the road. You know, same with Ben. He he, he makes his money and his career being out there door-to-door, bringing his sounds to people, and that's what we do. And if you're going to be out there missing your family as much as the next guy, you, you better be getting compensated the same as they are. There's going to be be a lot of animosity. I've, I've said that before. That's how, how bands break up. But I thought that was really cool that he gave him credit. And, uh, you know, this this song, what, what, what else can you say about it? It's... it's uh, if, as far as a hit goes, it, it's not cookie cutter, uh, same chorus over and over. There's just twists and turns throughout the whole thing. But at the end of the day, it is a hit. I love when you were talking about the title of the song, the main lyric of the song, Catch My Disease, that he talked about how having something stuck in your head, it doesn't always feel good. It can feel like a disease if it's something you don't want stuck in there. It's some commercial jingle. It's some annoying song you don't like, but yet it's still stuck in your head. And how he turned that and made that like a clever line in his own song. I love that. Absolutely. And Chris, you know what else I love? What's that? I love when you segue 
into this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, every time. You're better. Every, you're, hey, look, I'm going to give you credit right now, okay? As my podcasting partner, you're better at it than me. But but lately, I've, I've been doing it for some reason. So I hope that the thing that is stuck in people's head is not us always talking about our supporting cast. I hope that it, <laughs> I hope that it isn't a disease stuck in your head that we're always saying, please join our supporting cast. It's only a couple bucks a month and you get a bonus episode every week. Just go to ChrisDemakes.com and sign up and you can support the podcast and get bonus episodes. I know we say it every week, but we do depend on your support to keep bringing you great episodes. That's ChrisDemakes.com if you're interested. And uh, maybe we should have a jingle for that. Maybe we should get it stuck in people's head. Maybe we'll get more supporting cast members that way. I need to get on that. Yeah, go to ChrisDemakes.com. We'd love to have you be a part of it. And also, please join our Chris Demakes a Podcast Facebook group. It's a lot of fun. We'd love to have you in there with over 4,000 members. It uh, It's a grand old time. And please give me a follow on Instagram at Less Than Christy. And I'm still doing those custom songs and jingles. Hit me up for more info at ChrisDemakes at gmail.com. want to thank this week's guest, Ben Lee, for sitting in with us. And we'll see you next week. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The The Corner Corner of Gray Street. Hello out there! Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!